All right, Richard, light on me. I really am having a bad week this week of Star Trek. Yeah, well, the ob- the obsession. It should have been called the obsession. Uh, it should have been called crap because it was crap. Obsession is an interesting episode. Okay, let's. I can tell why you think it's an interesting episode, and I agree with you. Except. Well, why don't you tell me? Why do I think it's an interesting episode? Well, because it get, we get a lot of Kirk backstory here. And actually, it's it, – so one of the Kirk things that comes from, like, Wrath of Khan and all of that is that Kirk can't accept the no-win situation. Correct. Well, we have this incident in his backstory where he believes that he did fail at something and, th- you know, this delay of two seconds is, you know, apparently this – mistake that has haunted him for his entire career in a way his what he feels guilt for his culpability for the deaths of all these people may have made kirk into the captain he is because, yes be, because i definitely feel like oh well shit i can't even wait two seconds and then he has to always be at 100 percent level because he knows that if he doesn't you know if he makes a mistake if he isn't 100 percent aware all the time a lot of people will die and that kind of valor and, you know, discipline will get you through the ranks of, you know, anything very quickly and will get you to be very talented. I think it's interesting that in absolving this other guy from his guilt, uh, he kind of destroys this kid's chance of being the next Captain Kirk. Maybe, yeah. Well, it's funny, right? Because I think this, entr- this episode is interesting for, for a couple of reasons. Um Number one, I think it's their attempt to do the Doomsday Machine with Commodore Decker, but have it be about our main character, Kirk, which I don't necessarily know if we needed because it comes across as way out of character for Kirk. Well, yeah, what seemed very out of character for me was that he... He's being so, well, we're doing this and we're fighting this thing. And if he had sat Spock and Bones down at the very beginning and said, look, like all of these people died because, uh, you know, he's being very coy, like, oh, look at this medical record and you'll find something interesting. Why doesn't he just say, look, look, I was on this ship like I messed up. All these people died like I want to fight this thing because partially because of revenge motive, but I also having seen what I've seen. You know, this is just the beginning. If this gets, you know, all of that. No, absolutely. And I think that, number one, that is something that, that does bother me about the episode. Yeah. I, I always have a problem with uh, plots being driven by characters, not just sitting someone down yeah. and saying, hey, this, this is what's up. And at um, the end, after they have this mini trial for him, even he explains in that way. And they basically say, OK, well, when you put it that way, sure. Like, yes, this thing needs to be. In in some respects, that just has to do with the limitations of the format, I think. And, it, 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 you know, it, it needed to be 50 minutes long. Yeah. And so they needed that first 20 minutes and they had to do it somehow. I don't, you know, it, it's, a, it's a funny episode in a lot of ways because it comes at an interesting point in the series. You know, we're sort of pretty much at the halfway point now, even if the people making the show didn't know that. Um, and... You couldn't really have done this episode earlier because it would have painted a picture of Kirk as a very different character than we have known him to be over the past season and a half. And it doesn't really work, even though we know that Kirk is not like that. And I think one of the reasons why it doesn't work is because we know Kirk is not like that. He has shown himself to maybe be the type of captain that will not explain his actions at some point. But at the same time... 
his actions seem logical to his senior staff, and here they don't. Yeah, and you, you, he's acting in ways that he's acted before when he's either been possessed or sick or an alien imposter. Or right. Uh, they're, they're every, they know him well enough to know that when he's acting off, and they know him well enough to know that he's only, he only acts off when there's something seriously wrong. So I genuinely I think that's a lot of their motivation there, like— Oh, God, you know, what is it this time? But Kirk's, you know, definitely not Kirk this week. Yeah, and I and I think the episode is a little too on the nose for precisely that reason. It's, it's like I said, it's a decent episode. It's definitely entertaining, and, and there's some good character work in there. And um, the plot moves. I mean, you're, yeah. never, you're never bored watching this episode. But uh, it definitely does feel like they were redoing the Doomsday Machine only with a much less threatening motivator because really they never give you any indication of of what this cloud thing is why it's killing people they never try and communicate with it which i find very strange when 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 you see spock like touching that grate like i thought oh spock's gonna mind meld with it but then like in the context of afterwards when that's not the thing it looks like he's almost trying to like hold it in like to the grate with his hands which that seems very like that makes no sense that's not at all logical and you know even in the most desperate spock would be looking for something else to cover it with like i can see him doing that but you know even just a pillow which was in reach you know yeah it would have been better at that and it was like that that weird um uh like negative they they said something about negative pressure which didn't make any sense because if you had negative pressure it would have blown air in not out yeah what's that with like he turns on his air conditioner and that lets it in the ship or i don't know it it went from like it went from like automatic to bypass or something and it's like why would you have a bypass switch in your life support system that doesn't seem to be a good idea let's just vent all our air into space for no reason like what it's it's very much obviously one of those they didn't really care about the main plot of it which now i get that the monster in you know a a simple bug hunt is not an interesting episode but one where the bug hunt reveals character motivations that's interesting but here the bug hunt part is just i i didn't really pay attention to what happened and the entire last like half of it is just all this random techno babble this thrown in, you know, let's hope that antimatter is the most powerful man can get, you know, type of new anti-nuclear bomb thing. It's like, it, uh, you, you, you could have made a more interesting a plot. That's that's, I guess, where they're go- where I'm going. I, with I that. think the I think the the you saying that is sort of clarified why the episode is is, is problematic for me. Is that the the science fiction threat of the part that part of the plot is not well defined but you can hand wave that away in any number of reasons i mean there were many episodes of the original series where that wasn't really well defined but it still worked because the character moments were there the writing was there the plot made sense yeah but then here that's not the case and Yes, it's not it's not a bad episode by any stretch. I mean, we have seen much worse episodes in the original series, and I would say this is probably a solid, you know, middling episode. Um, maybe elevating it to a you know slightly better than that, just because there's some nice. I like there's some things about it I like. Uh, one of the things I like about the episode is Ensign Garavik. Uh, he's he's a little he's a little nice looking. I'm just saying. Okay, uh, the, the, but, the show has gotten me by the way to the point where. So they're like, oh, well, we don't know where this thing has disappeared to. 
and Guy appears, and he's just very wooden-looking. I'm like, oh, so the Cloud Being has pretended to be a Starfleet officer, and that's how he's on the ship. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm ready for this, like, okay, shape-shifting Cloud. You know, this is going to be a great one, you know? And then it turns out he's just not a very good actor, you know? Just pretty and was sleeping with the cameraman, you know? He's pretty. Yeah. He's pretty. Well, I think the other thing, too, of course, is that uh, I think this episode would have worked better if we had had some backstory from Kirk before. Um, you know, coming as it is, we, we, we find out that, that his first deep space assignment was on the USS Farragut. Uh, we find out, you know, he was under the command of Captain uh, uh, Garavik. But we don't know who that is, and we don't have any connection to them. We've never seen him. Kirk has never talked about this before. And we can accept as the audience that Kirk has reasons for what he's doing. Yeah. Um, because the show usually lets the audience know when someone is being possessed or gone crazy or whatever it is. So we never got a scene like that in this episode with Kirk. So we're all led to assume that Kirk is fine and Kirk is fine. This is totally a character episode, yeah. right? Kirk is just obsessed with this thing because he feels that he could have stopped it if he had fired more quickly yeah. 12 years ago or whatever it was on the planet. Which, as they end up finding out, was was not, not the case. Yeah. That's all fine. Yeah. The problem with the episode is that we we don't really ever get a sense of who Captain Kirk was back then. We don't know anything about this Captain Garavik. Um, was, obviously, yeah. his son is supposed to stand in for yeah, him in some are respects. We, are we supposed to understand that Garavik Jr., like that Kirk was an emo kid just like him when he was, you know, 20? Well, I think I think we're, it's more supposed to be that Ensign Garavik reminds Kirk yeah. of that. Not necessarily that Kirk thinks he's like Ensign Garavik. No, 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 but I'm saying, like, could we assume, because obviously he is, you know, Ensign Garavik is a, a a shadow of Kirk when he was that age, you know. There's a reason that he's reminding him of that, and it's literally because he's gone through the same exact prece- uh, uh, mistake that Kirk made. Right. Uh, so th- th- I think the show is very much saying, like, this is who Kirk was, you know, 12 years ago or whatever. That being said, you know, I don't I don't think of that as where Kirk came from. You know, I think even I don't ever I don't see a Kirk who has even let a whole crew of people die just flopping on his bed and crying. And, you know, <laughs> well, that that was a great scene. I mean, yeah. that was totally a Garavik enters his quarters after being grounded basically by Captain Kirk and just flounces on his bed angrily. Yeah, and like then, what is what show are we watching now? <laughs> I, I like and then, and then Nurse Chapel comes in. Finally, she has a personality. By the way, oh yeah, where she's just like you know, yeah, you fucking dinner, yeah, it sucks for all of us. Just grow up, and then she leaves, and you know, and then she's like, here you go, it's a medical textbook, ha ha ha. Yeah, that was a weird scene. I, I, you know, it's just like that was just there as some sort of light comedy, I guess. Yeah. I guess we're, what, what, what seems untrue about Kirk going so harsh against this guy is that while this is the – you know, we've seen Kirk have reactions to people who haven't been – we've used the phrase not Starfleet material before. We've seen him do that, and he has a wide range of things about that. In some, he's very firm like, a nope, you got, you got to do your job. This is what you're, you're down to do. 
in some he's a little more compassionate about it like yeah this is tough but in all of them he recognizes that it's tough and that you know they you know yeah this isn't an easy job we'll give you the 30 seconds but okay that's over now you gotta work yeah totally and that he doesn't give that to this guy is interesting Um, well i mean i think that he he doesn't give that to to ensign garavik just because i mean obviously there there's the scene where he's debriefing uh the ensign and 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 he just basically you know relieves him of his duties and, and confines him to quarters which is quite a uh uh, quite a quite a strong punishment. Yeah. Uh, which even Doctor McCoy says he was like, I think you went a little, a little too hard on the boy, Kirk. Yeah. Um, obviously that's because Kirk is is seeing himself in in Garavik. Um, perhaps not in in personality or temperament, but in the sense that he feels like he did the same thing that Garavik did. Well, here's a, another interesting thing that I noticed is. I mean, we've seen Kirk agonize over decisions he's about to make or decisions that he knows are going to be difficult. But he always does that in the privacy of his own room and like he'll say that to Spock or he'll say that to McCoy or even to your departed, you know, Yeoman Rand, uh, people that he's extremely, extremely close to. Uh, everybody else, like it's you, – you, the captain can't show weakness. Like sure. he, he recognizes for many reasons why he doesn't want to show that outside. Um Anytime Kirk's made a mistake, he's 100% stood by his decision and said, like, you know, oh, well, I had my reasons for that. Or, you know, even when one of his crewmen has made a mistake, he's immediately taken responsibility for that, however grudgingly. But he has said, like, yeah, I'm their captain. Maybe, what's his name? Garavik? Garavik. Uh, and you do realize I'm only remembering his name because he's pretty. Yes, of course. Okay. That's that's the way we all work in this world. Um we uh, Garavik doesn't right away take responsibility and he tries in a way he's trying to mitigate his thing. Maybe Kirk gives him such a harsh punishment because he doesn't see Garavik punishing himself the way that Kirk would be punishing himself. I mean, that's the thing. Kirk has impossibly high standards for everybody but he is the type of person who will let one two second mistake haunt him for 12 years or more yeah if he had never had you know if they hadn't visited this planet this would have haunted him for his entire life that's a good that's a really good point actually and i I definitely concede that that's part of it um so you've got two things going on there you've got uh uh, kirk punishing garavik because he sees himself in garavik and then he also goes really hard on him Perhaps because that is feeding into this other reaction of, well, maybe this guy is not Starfleet material. Maybe he's, yeah. not, you know, he's not as good as me. And, and so, then, yeah. and he's sort of like, you know, projecting himself onto Garavik. And Garavik is almost a cipher for him 12 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. But no, that's, I, I think Kirk, you know, Kirk, because Kirk sees so much of himself, he doesn't, he, he would expect every single capability that Kirk has in this person. And, it's interesting because now we see a – the show hasn't really gone into any flaws of Kirk's. Beyond, True. He's impulsive, yes. You know, he's a slut, yes. He, you know, occasionally will agonize over a very big decision. But for the most part, uh, Kirk hasn't made any mistakes that he hasn't been able to clean up or that he's so, you know, regretful for. Here we see that 
in a way, his drive to become the best starship captain, and he definitely takes pride in the fact that he's the captain of the Enterprise, and he takes pride in the fact that he's a, you know, legendary starship captain. He knows who his crew is, he knows what he can do, and he's legitimately, but at the same time, he's blind to the fact that not everybody is Captain Kirk. Yeah, and that's interesting, right? Because the show does make that point yeah. that being a starship captain is this sort of singularly hard thing to do. It's an impossible job. Only certain people yeah. can do it. And not everybody has it in them. And perhaps not even most people have it in them to do this job. Yeah. So, yeah, said in that sense, I think, you know, but that kind of feeds into to Kirk's uh not ego. I don't think it's ego because I I honestly don't think that Kirk has much of an ego i think it's more it's a sense is a strong sense of self and a yeah. strong sense of co- confidence which occasionally crosses over into cockiness certainly um it's he knows that very often he will not be you know the, the circumstances have to be very extraordinary for him to be equally matched. We've seen several, uh, I mean, con con. The, was, well, that was not equal. I mean, con just bested them. Yeah. The, but the, uh, the balance of terror one, like, yeah. uh, enemies like that generally seem to be very interested in the idea of meeting up with captain Kirk because they finally feel like, you know, con feels like, all right, I have somebody who's, a worthy opponent, you know, I'm still going to win, but he's going to give me a run for my money. Um, we see Kirk doing a bit of that too, I guess. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. It's from the same, uh, impulse basically. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. I know that there's not, there's not too much to say about the sort of threat in this episode, but I'm curious to get your take on it because it, like we said, it's never very fully formed and, it doesn't even seem to really make a whole lot of sense. Well, I think uh, getting a gaseous amorphous figure that has bizarre properties that they never 100% lock down is a fairly perfect uh, form for that creature to take then. Like, oh, liter- no, of course. Literally, like, both thematically and physically, it's just kind of a wispy creation that just sort of is there and is the impetus for the plot but doesn't really... It's so it's almost an obvious placeholder. Like it seems almost a almost sarcastically iconic in a way. I think it's weird though because it does set them up. Because Kirk, the very beginning of the episode, for the first you know fifteen or twenty minutes, uh, the Kirk's actions, at least to the audience, uh, seem to be totally you know out of character. He's he's obsessed with this thing for 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 no reason. We don't know why. He seems to be acting very strangely. Uh, McCoy and Spock both think he's also acting strangely, um, but he seems convinced, convinced that this thing is a life form and that it's it's hostile to, yeah. to humanity and hostile to space and you know all these things. Um, and it turns out that he's right, but he's not right because he has any sort of special knowledge of it. He's right mostly because the plot demands that he be right. I mean, there, there, because is, if if he yeah. wasn't right, then it would be a much different episode it would be a portrait of kirk going a little crazy maybe it would be more interesting if it were not an intelligence but a natural phenomena or something like that or a disease that's just totally neutral so he has this vendetta against this thing that he feels is a intelligent creature that he hates but it's just a 
it's just an illness and you know yeah so therefore like yes it's a legitimate threat i mean keep it as a legitimate threat but then his hatred becomes a little disturbing but at that point i think that would be too much moral uh, coloring for it to for the show to be able to do justice at that point of time it's, that that it's could be giving him making him a little too uh, deter- uh, uh determined to fight this thing is crazy kirk enough i guess yeah that could be and i mean they at the very end of the episode they they do set it up you know spock is saying something like it's going home to spawn or whatever and it's like okay like i don't even know where you would get that information but yeah, they, they said it's plot exposition it <laughs> <to> go somewhere <laughs> yeah pretty much um what the other one of the things i want to mention uh I think this is the first appearance of the per, of the personal log. I'm not sure. I, uh, that that's interesting because um, that's a device that Star Trek uses, not as much as the captain's log, but but it does use it. Okay, and uh, it, it lets us inside the character's mind in a way that that normally can't happen. So captain's log is for like you know they they that's a regular report, and anybody from Starfleet will you know someone is apparently going through all those reports and logging them down, and right? You, can, you know. If, if 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 someone else finds an anomaly like this, they'll look through and they'll say, "Oh well, Captain Kirk deal with a personal log is basically his live journal." Yeah, pretty okay. much. Yeah, it's like his Facebook uh, Facebook page. Oh, yeah, and and that's interesting, right? Because I think that's a it, it, it's using the the limitations of, of of you know this sort of television show, um, maybe to its credit uh, a little bit. And I think it's cool too because it's an interesting development in Star Trek, just because it does um, it does indicate that the show is becoming perhaps more interested in the internals of the characters than, than it has in the past. Yeah. Um, Cause the character, you know, the, the show is definitely interested in strong characters, but it hasn't really gotten all that interested in the, the psychology of the characters, perhaps with the exception of Spock. Okay. But maybe the implication there is that Spock doesn't have much of an internal life. They deal with him more. He, uh, Spock's psychology is more of a thematic thing, I would say than a, character thing in some ways mm-hmm. but he he's a stand-in for an alien yes pretty much or you know certain kinds of philosophies or you know th- depending on the episode right uh, right he, he his personality serves more of a function in a lot of ways yeah yeah so all right so so what do you make of obsession how many triples do you give it i would give it a five and a half triple score and part of that reason is because it's 18 and a half minutes until Chekhov shows up. <laughs> and he has one scene. What was his scene? Hello, I'm going to give you some random things you don't care about because I am being paid for it. Let's talk about how space is big. And that was about what I got from that. Oh, okay. Remember I said it was a very techno babble episode? Yeah, and it was in a lot of ways. Yeah, this was they had in they realized the night before they had something new and they just kind of uh Throw it in there. Yeah. Oh, if you think this is te- bad tech, I know. I, you I, I, have no idea what's coming. I'm not happy. <laughs> You're not happy. <laughs> well, uh, I'll give it a five as well. Okay. Well, not, I'll give it five, not five and a half. Yeah. Sulu wasn't in it this week. I know. So I, I, I was almost half hoping that you know when emo kid flung himself on the bed that Sulu would be there. Be like, don't worry. I'll comfort you. I would. I would have liked to have seen that. Yeah, would have been a different show, though. I, I'm sure that people have written short stories about that, though. And if not, they're going to write short stories about it now. Well, I I don't want to disappoint you, but um, uh, George Takei was filming a movie at this time, 
So he's not in a bunch of episodes. A gay porno movie? Like 10, 10 episodes. No, not gay porno. What movie was it? I don't know what movie it was. It was probably, you know, in theaters for six months and then disappeared, and it's not even on DVD. So uh, gay porn. Yes, it was gay porn. Okay, well, then then that's another check in the gay Sulu call. We'll just say it was gay porn, sure. Okay. But you do realize that George Takei is gay and Sulu is a character. So George Takei making gay porn makes sense, whereas, you know, Sulu was not out (laughs) making a movie is what I'm trying to say. George Takei was making the movie. Sulu did not take. But then why wasn't Sulu in the the Enterprise that week? Because Sulu did not go to Captain Kirk and say, I need a leave of absence to go to Rigel 7 and make a gay porno. And Kirk said... <laughs> well, of God- course he wouldn't say that. He'd give an excuse. He'd say, like, look, I have to, like, be on medical leave because no, I have, No, no, like- because it's the Federation. They're very hip. Kirk, you know, as, as evidenced by our next episode, which we will get into in a minute, uh, Kirk would have said, Godspeed, Sulu. Uh, please take our shuttlecraft at Rigel 7. I- I- enjoy many loads. That's all I'm saying. I really don't that he would have said that it's sulu has his own life and look i don't know what the specifics of the dialogue would have been i'm just giving you the gist i, I mean sorry like when you're going on like vacation do you tell your boss like every detail of what you're doing no you just say like look i'm going away for a few days you know i'm going actually i do i give them a detailed itinerary i i provide them with pictures well then that well then when you go and make you get your gay porn like you i really don't think your boss would appreciate that probably not uh all right one other thing I do want to mention about obsession, and maybe we don't want to get into this. I don't know. But uh, just thinking about the whole idea of, of Kirk being a formed character or not, you know, what yeah. happens in the past. I know that you've seen the 2009 Star Trek movie. Yeah, which I... Which is interesting because, and I'll, I'll tell you why I'm linking this to obsession. Because for those of you out here out there who have not seen the the 2009 Star Trek movie, and if you have not, shame on you. Why are you listening to this podcast? Hey, 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 maybe they're not. We, we can't shame people for not having watched something or other. Uh, okay, that's fair. People cannot deal with shame in the society. I'm sorry. I apologize. Pod. Yes. Yeah. So so the idea in the, in the 2009 Star Trek movie, of course, is that um, the timeline was changed because Kirk's father was killed and, you know, his mother was a single mother and Kirk, you know, became a truin and just crashed cars and things like that. Um, and, you know, the idea, of course, is that Kirk has this destiny. He's this character that has this strong drive to be the best he can be and even in a timeline which totally changes his upbringing, he still eventually becomes Captain Kirk. Yeah. So I, in, in light of this episode, um, I would posit that perhaps Kirk is always Captain Kirk. I No matter what timeline he's in. Agree because I agree I, I genuinely think that fate stuff is – that's one of J.J. Abrams' personal – interests of themes which sure fine but it's something that philosophically is not in line with my understanding of personality which yeah um, i i I believe we are definitely made by our choices our environment our you know oh yeah yeah. i don't don't disagree with any of that i'm just i'm just saying in terms of, of of what's portrayed on screen that's all i'm saying no 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 so what i'm yeah what i'm saying is i think that uh as i said i i believe that i think this mistake made a major um 
contribution into how Captain Kirk got to be who he is. And even we can't view that the 2009 Captain Kirk and Garavik are two completely different people. Oh, sure. So I I think that's part of why it felt like a false note, you know, comparing Garavik to the young Kirk, because um, the the 2009 portrayal seemed more in line. He's he's definitely brasher and definitely less disciplined. Yeah. Possibly a bit ruder and a bit, you know, but he, you know, as you said, different background and he's young and you can definitely see those things through more years of discipline out of, out of, you know, the simple uh, responsibilities of command, all of them taming him in a way. Yeah. He's, he's not so much something that needs to be honed as in, as in reined in and tamed. I think Garavik needs to be trained in a way. That's fair. Um, that being said, not that Garavik won't go to greatness or anything like that, or that, you know, Kirk couldn't have been both things to both people, but... Well, I think the next Star Trek show that eventually happens needs to be a prequel and needs to star Captain Garavik. Okay. All right, so uh, are you ready to move on to our next episode? No. Bye. <laughs> Let's talk about Wolf in the Fold. Okay, it sucked. Bye. You don't like this episode. I don't like this episode. Okay, I, 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 I think this is another one we're going to disagree on because <laughs> I have to say you, you did change my mind a bit on the last on the obsession. I think it made made a little more sense. Okay, good. All right. I really don't think I liked Wolf in the Fold. I think that Wolf in the Fold is the best Robert Block episode of the three that he wrote for the original series. For those of you who don't remember, he also wrote What Little Girls Are Made Of and Cat's Ball. And we'll just leave it at that. We will not say anything else about those two episodes. Uh, I, I, this episode, I think, features strong plotting. I think it's mysterious. I like the villain. I like the characters. Landrew was in it. Really? Yeah, the guy. That oh, pl- wow. the guy that played the prefect also played oh. Landrew. Uh, from uh, Return of the Archons. Um, I think it's 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 a good episode. It's a solid episode of Star Trek. It's uh, a good mystery. Yes, it's a little clunky in places. Yes, the courtroom scene goes on a little too long. Um, and I think also there's a lot to say about uh, Robert Block's weird feelings towards the female of the species. Oh, yeah. So why don't you tell me why you don't think it's a good episode? Uh, partially because Jack the fucking Ripper. Oh, God. Okay, am... but... No, no. Oh, but it was really Jack the Ripper. Babylon 5. And I I do not like that episode of Babylon 5 because of that. Okay, fair. I I love the rest of that episode otherwise, but then he's like, my name is Jack and I've ripped people. Can you guess who I am? Yuck, yuck, yuck. (laughs) I'm like, oh, yeah, well, there you go. That's, I know. Gee, like, you know, next thing you know, like. That is actual dialogue for that episode (laughs) of Babylon 5, by the way. Um, To be fair, the actors pulled it off very well. Like, Mira Furlan, you know, to her credit, like, did not smirk or anything. Um, Well, we don't, we didn't see the outtakes. That's (laughs) Um. Blue. She actually got the script, and she was like, "Jack the fucking Ripper, are you kidding yeah, me?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and so there was that. There was this weird, like, "Oh, I'm gonna have a seance." And it's just like the bad guy is the guy who played Piglet from Winnie the Pooh. Like, yeah, ah, I don't. Okay, so which he I, bothers I, me. Well, yeah, like I closed my eyes and like I just imagined like Winnie the Pooh doing this episode, <laughs> and it like. 
improved it so much, like, you know, that I pictured uh, Chekhov going around like Eeyore. There was no Chekhov There was in this no episode. Chekhov in this episode. And it was wonderful. I, 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 I appreciated that very much. You had Chekhov and no Sulu. Oh, no, no, you it had no, no, no Chekhov and Sulu. And I'm sorry, Sulu. I got that backwards. Uh, th- that drugged up Sulu. Mm-hmm. I don't know who he is, but he sure talks gloomy. <laughs> and then, like, everybody just on the bridge is, like, spinning chairs and just having a party. And I'm like, okay, Enterprise. Sure. Yeah. What? Yeah. I don't really understand why they all had the tranquilize. I don't know. Do tranquilizers do that? I thought they just sort of, like, made you tired. I, you know, it's space tranquilizers. Uh. Yes. Um, I don't. I just. I. I thought the episode was kind of a mess, but it's okay. Here, okay. I, I, and it was. I. I felt like the entire thing was because the woman who was a belly dancer was somebody's girlfriend, I'm, and she just made them write an episode about her. It's okay. See, here's the thing about Wolf in the Fold. It is a mess of an episode, and there's way too much going on in it, but they're all selling it so well, and it's just crazy. It's just a crazy fucking episode, and. Yeah, it's not the best. And yeah, Robert Block has some weird issues towards yeah. women, which we will get into because this is something that happens a lot in what he writes, apparently. Um, but I think this episode is maybe another one of those Star Trek tests because you kind of have to like it if you're a Star Trek fan. And it's funny to me because you really, really bought into iMud. So, but I like. My, I I don't think they have any characters in this episode that are as just flamboyantly batshit as Mud or oh, no. Baylock or anything like that. No, like, absolutely not. I like the crazy episodes of Star Trek when they have someone like that. And yeah. so there wasn't any the, – the, the, the villain is, I thought, fairly ill-defined because he's in several different – you know, he's in a couple of different bodies throughout. He's in this computer voice for a while and – you know, you just never really see who he is or anything yeah. like that. They don't have a true form. So that he just feels kind of amorphous. But the thing about this episode is that it's a mystery and the identity of the killer is not really the point of a mystery. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, we, it's, it's, it depends on the like, kind of mystery. I no, it depends say. on the kind of mystery. Yeah, that's true. But I think, you know, for, for the kind of mystery that this is. It's not necessarily about who the killer is. It's not about finding out who the killer is. Because, of course, we all know Scotty is not going to turn out to be the murderer. Yeah. Um, they're just not going to do that. And so it becomes this episode about Scotty, about uh, McCoy, about Kirk, about all the relationships towards Scotty, um, how they handle that interpersonal yeah. conflict and what they do when they are faced with a situation where they're not in control for yeah. those reasons. I think it's an interesting episode. No. And there were some great moments. Um, but for every one of those, there was Scotty implying that he had a boner and that just didn't sit right with me. Oh, he only does that in the beginning. Hey, he, he smiled a little like there's, and this- if you were a heterosexual man, not to say you're not a man, but a heterosexual man, because you are not, uh, oh, man, thank you. Jesus. <laughs> uh, you would also probably have an erection because. Yeah, but I wouldn't make an episode like it's it's just like there's the big, big erection smile and then there's the creepy erection smile. And he just over the line just go, goes over the line. Well, I think we need to get into blocks thing about women here because this episode is very blatantly like hostile to women in general, I think. Yeah. Uh I don't think I, I I mean I do think that. But 
it's set up very strangely because there's this idea that number one, uh, Scotty gets like hit on the head and gets a concussion. Uh, yeah, what because... the hell was that? <laughs> well, this okay. So, so I actually wrote down what uh, McCoy said. Okay. And so what happened apparently is that the episode opens and they're on this planet and it's sort of like this um, space Morocco, I guess. Uh, they're playing the the dancing girl yeah, music doing from a belly. the cage and she's doing a belly dance and there's guys in fezes and they're all sitting around tables and they're they're watching this dancer and there's women yeah, and they're smoking very... and it's very like it's it's like equal parts Morocco and like uh you know cafe wa in 1963 you know it's yeah, like that kind of uh, thing we're told it's this a... planet is like just a uh, one based on pleasure and stuff and they don't even have their own uh government they just kind of hire out their important spaceports. So yeah they, there's like there's they just have so much money they just kind of figure all right well let someone else do this shit and we're just gonna party all the time yeah like there's an implication that they had this like um this like awakening 200 years ago yeah. and that they haven't had a murder since then and it's really interesting actually because you could kind of see this episode as a as a, as a counterpoint to vulcan because the the whole the whole thing about vulcan society as well is that they had this great awakening but they went almost the complete opposite yeah. way, which is that they suppress all emotion, whereas this society went, hey, you know what? We're just going to have cool, fun emotions, and we're going to get rid of all the bad ones. There's this idea that um, in the episode, which I found really interesting, is that jealousy is like really, really bad, and that they, they, they try and avoid it as much as possible. Well, because you could – I definitely think this is the kind of society that would have open marriages or open relationships or something yeah, like and it's, that. Like – yeah, you know, well, you you two are just going to go off into the woods somewhere. You know, have at it. You know, I'll see you in an hour. Like, that's – one would think that marriage would be a, you know, yes, based on love, you know, and but practicality as well. And because everyone can just have sex. Yeah, you. and I – well, this is – I mean, I think it's an, it's an interesting episode for that reason too, of course, because – I would I would posit to you that uh, this episode is is sitting at a very precarious point in American culture and in Western culture, really. Mm. Um, this is what nineteen sixty seven now, and uh, or yeah, 1967, 1968, whichever one it was. You know, you've got the you've got the Lovins, you've got the counterculture, yeah. you've got hippies, and and all these things. And at the same time, you have this episode which is 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 basing its. Uh, plot on this basically a planet of hedonists who have open marriages um and it's definitely if jealousy is a bad thing it's definitely not portrayed as a bad thing it works for them they really are enjoying their lifestyle yeah and the they're able it's to not made explicit of course just because of the yeah. the mores of the time and, and and television standards of the time but I think people back then would pick up on it and we're probably picking up oh, on even yeah. more of it. I mean, we have words for it now, whereas, you know, in 1967, they may not have even known what an open relationship was, but you know, it's obvious that Scotty and this woman are not just going, you know, off to have a conversation. Like they're, they, they, it's fairly, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's interesting how the show does not view it as bad. It kind of figures, well, they have the money to, contract out their administration that's fine you know they i think it's interesting that whenever we've seen hedonistic societies there's been um the the, the pleasure has been a force from without like in uh the side of paradise where it was these spores which caused yeah. everybody to act this way this is through um again just they they've 
more or less transcended scarcity and figured, okay, well, then we're just going to spend our time. And obviously, they probably have developed sex technology to a very high degree. So (laughs) they are still functioning as a society, and this is a natural development of their society. And there's even the sense that, you know, when everybody's tranquilized on the ship at the end, uh, Kirk's basically like, well, we're just, you know, we're just going to hang out looking at their hands for a while. You know, let's just... Go down and bone, might as well. We're on leave, you know. Fun times. like, And, and that's as much as they care. Just like, uh, oh, boys, you know. Well, well we think, got time off coming. I think it's interesting you bring up this side of paradise because I remember you vehemently arguing that Kirk would have a problem with the society because the society was hedonistic. And yeah. I think in this episode, it's pretty much clear that Kirk is not really a problem with that at and all. And that makes, again, given this in... The two episodes together, this is I, – I, it does make sense that this episode is clearly more of a natural state of uh, uh, relaxed and, you know, they've – maybe there's almost a sense that they've earned it. Yeah. You know, they've, they've – they, they have found a way to have this, this uh, self-sustaining yeah. society, which is based on, on pleasure and, and fucking, I guess. Yeah. Uh, just kind of hanging out. I mean, obviously, there's this, this idea that they do work and, you know, things like that. I mean, yeah, but they're probably doing... There's musicians, the guy, yeah. they, they have people in charge, you know, but most of the stuff they do contract out. I'd assume most of, the, yeah, most of the work is probably artistic or creative or something like that. Right. You know? um, well, let, let's go back to uh, uh, the whole the whole Robert Block thing oh, because yeah, <laughs> you, you can't really talk about this episode without talking about Robert Block and in what little girls are made of. This came up some, and then I think in Cat's Paul it came up very briefly. But Cat's Paul is a hard episode to talk about, as as you remember. Um, so so very early on in the episode, it's set up as you know Scotty is down on the planet and and uh, to get relaxation because he has a concussion and the I think it's explained that there was a a female engineer who did something to cause Scotty to get hit on the head yeah um and and McCoy actually says uh that Scotty has developed a quote total resentment towards <laughs> women because of a concussion. Well, yeah, because a woman made the mistake which uh, hurt Scotty, so therefore all women are bad yeah. engineers or something like that. Yeah, like it just seems that says a lot more about Robert Block's attitudes yeah. towards women than I think it says about the show's attitudes towards women. Maybe oh, def- uh, this the thing is, whenever Robert Block is writing, and I felt a little bit this on Obsession, he's not writing the characters and he's not writing the show. He's taking these characters well, robert blocked in right obsession i oh i know i'm just saying like i i found the same problem oh okay in, in both episodes um just happened to be um it, it feels like these characters are take are being taken over possessed in a way by another person's ideas that do not necessarily fit with the show's ideas i i can see that it doesn't yeah he doesn't sound like kirk they don't sound like themselves all the time I mean, even a, like the way, yeah, even the even the rhythms of the dialogue and the quality of the dialogue don't sound like things they would say. Yeah. Well, there's a, at the very end of the episode when it, it, they find out that the entity is feeding on fear and all this stuff. There's another weird line, and I forget who says it, but it might have been Doctor McCoy. I'm not sure, but it might have been Kirk. I, I don't remember, but said something about like women being more like deeply terrified than men, <laughs> uh, which is another weird thing to put in a script, and it's another weird idea. Um, I don't think that's true. Do, I can like, see where a 
Well, go going to a traditional or conservative view of gender politics. Sure, it comes from there. As you know, somebody in 2012, America, who you know lives in New York City, and you know, I, I would not see. I I don't see that same thing um i mean i I think it's i think it's really weird though because robert block you know i'm not i'm not very familiar with the whole of his work i I mean i've seen these episodes of star trek a few times i've seen psycho i've never read the book that's pretty much the extent of what i know of robert block i mean i think he wrote maybe like maybe a twilight zone episode or maybe an outer limits episode probably had seen that at some point i don't remember but you know, so I'm not really familiar with his work, but if you look at the work that he did on Star Trek and you look at the work that he did in Psycho, it really seems like he had an overbearing mother that <laughs> just colored his entire opinion of women, which is fine. I mean, that's not a problem, but no, I it, it, he needed to be in therapy for 30 years. I was going to say, it's, it's one thing to write about a certain personal theme, but he doesn't necessarily... I don't think he's even aware of it because I think he makes yeah. he kind of makes the bad guy this, you know, killer of women and this killer who hates women and this evil force and yet in a way Block himself is a killer of women and is an evil force and is a so this I talked about, you know, it feels like Block is possessing this characters. Well, Block and Jack the Ripper are one in the same. Like the 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 villain of this piece is so amorphous because it's Robert Block himself. Yeah, and maybe he has he never has a, a strong sense of that because he doesn't realize that he's doing it. Yeah, again, it would be one thing if it's like, okay, here's these issues and I'm going to make this uh, scary episode based on this particular fear. And, I mean, going back, you know, primarily men fear for castration, women fear rape, and this is a fear of rape episode, uh, definitely. Sure, yeah. Um, and we've seen some episodes. Well, I that... mean, even even the fact that, that the women are being stabbed to death. I mean, that's, you yes. know, yeah. if, 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 if a killer of women specifically is, is picking a knife as a murder weapon and stabbing them to death, that is very indicative of, of something, which I'm sure you all can pick up on. But compare this to the man trap, which is a castration fear episode. We have literally a walking uh, pile of vagina dentata that's coming and sucking the salt out of every yeah. male crew member. So, I mean, we have a very literal... Uh, and what's salty? Uh, I'm just saying sweat. Um, um, yeah, but so I, I, it's playing on that same fear, except just in a very creepy way that's not intended by the script. The creature yeah. from the man, man Trap is supposed to be creepy. Uh, the, you know, well, this, I think- this is supposed to be creepy, but... It's it's supposed to be creepy, but but it's 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 it goes not, beyond the yeah because I don't ever really feel like the Jack the Ripper floaty whatever the hell it is character is really a threat to yeah. most of them, especially um, when we hear it talking through the computer. It sounds ridiculous. <laughs> it does sound ridiculous. I mean, it sounds like it too was uh, drugged uh, yeah. by Doctor McCoy. Yeah, the end of the episode is very tonally weird because it doesn't fit in with the rest of the episode at all. And it's like if you're setting up this episode as being about this a uh, 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 murderer of women and. You know, oh, it's Jack the Ripper, and Jack the Ripper is uh, a stand-in for, like, the darkest elements in our society. Everybody knows who Jack the Ripper is. He was never caught. We don't know who he is. Like, he was just, like, this creepy guy who was floating around Victorian London, stabbing women to death, and then disappeared. No one ever knew who it was. 
That's really frightening. Yeah. Um, he's the boogeyman, essentially. And if you're going to use Jack the Ripper in your story, you should make the yeah. reveal of what Jack the Ripper is scary. And instead, it comes across as like a wacky Halloween episode. Like, I almost think oh, that maybe yeah. this should have been the Halloween episode and they should have thrown Cat's Ball in the trash and lit it on a fire because, wow. Yeah. Here's, well, the other thing is that other than being stabbed, there's no continuity with what we know of the Jack the Ripper murders. Like, I've I've read a few or seen a few things where, you know, it turns to be a, 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 an alien or a ghost version of Jack the Ripper or some kind of whatever, and... There's usually the elements of some kind of ritualization, as in, you know, the new victims are, was it five or six women that were killed? On Argelia? Uh, it, no, in, in in Jack the Ripper. I'm the not sure, but it was, about that many. It, it was a certain number. Uh, they, it's usually the same number of people. It's usually the, you know, they usually are prostitutes. They are usually carved up in the same manner. Yeah. A lot of times there's the, you know, Oh, we've got, you know, there's going to be six victims and the fifth one is happening. It's going to be your girlfriend and we've got to save her type of plot. Um, but the thing is, that comes out of nowhere in this. It's just someone who kills women. And he's not the first one I think of when I think of, you know, just killer of women. Uh, yeah. He's definitely one of them. But if the, if the, if it had been, you know, five prostitutes, if it had been, you know, in alleyways, if it had been something like that, then it would the Jack the Ripper thing would feel like a complete reveal. This, it just comes out of, it, it just seems like he was not looking back at any previous pages when he wrote the next one. Yeah. I, well, that's a good point. Um, and he didn't plan anything. He just kind of wrote it. And like, and it's almost like he wanted to, he wanted, cause you know, Star Trek um, uh, was always known for its sort of like left turns at the very end and sort yeah. of surprise endings. Um, and so it kind of feels like maybe he was trying to come up with one of those. And so he's, Oh, Jack the Ripper, that's going to be a surprise ending. No one's going to expect that. Like you said, the problem with that is that the, the, the creature as, as written, uh, is this entity that feeds on fear and nothing about that. means that the creature has to specifically stab women to death. It could be anything. And and so that's a weird note in the script as well. I think. I I just think that they this was Robert Block did probably had in his contract that they weren't allowed to edit the script very much. <laughs> I kind of feel like in all of his episodes that that was a thing. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe uh, I don't know how stand, script standardization worked in that day, but like I said, just the way that everyone speaks very differently. You know, the way that all these weird elements out of nowhere, it just doesn't feel like anybody. Well, it's interesting because I don't want to get into Star Trek phase two all, too much, but I, I, I picked up um, the the pocket book um, that was done in the mid 90s uh, by the the this, uh, oh I forget their name. Uh, the Re- Reeve Stevenson's, I believe their name is um, the Star Trek people know who they are. Um, they've written novels and things like that. And they wrote a couple of these like background books as well. And one of the interesting things about Star Trek phase two and, and for Richard and, and also the rest of you who don't know what that is, that was, uh, the, um, failed attempt at a second Star Trek series, um, yeah. in 1977 and 76, 77. Okay. One of the interesting things there is that there's actually a memo in that book, which says that, uh, Roddenberry, um, television had loosened up a little bit and he, he said something like, thanks mash. 
uh, and and things right. like sentence fragments and contractions and and sort of like more naturalistic dialogue, uh, you know, was able to be used in in television in, in the seventies. And yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah. I mean, there there was a there was a television style of writing um, in the sixties and fifties that was very not not formalized, but not really how people talked. No, this is actually I, I think that's clicked it. Uh Robert Block is writing what Star Trek would have been like if it had been made in the fifties. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. All of his yeah. episodes feel like they're relics of an earlier time. Because the episodes that he did not write, the the series as a whole feels more progressive, feels more natural language, feels more, you know, has a better view of women. You know, maybe that's the case. Maybe he was just a writer who was perfected in the 50s. At this point, like, things were already starting to change. And while Star Trek was kind of straddling between, the you know, the 50s and the 70s, uh, Block was still solidly in the 50s. His They feel dated at the time, I guess. I wonder how old he was at the time. I don't know. He had a career, certainly. I don't think he was that old. I think he oh. died in the 90s, and he was, like, in his 70s, I think. So he was probably in his 40s at this point. So it wasn't like he was that old. Yeah, but if your career peaked early, you know, people Yeah, leave. that's true. And, I mean, of course, Psycho was a huge hit in 1960, yeah. um, which was a few years before that. And, of course, Psycho, in a lot of ways, straddles the line between, you know, earlier earlier cinema and and 60s and 70s stuff so um you know the fact that that hitchcock filmed psycho in black and white uh, with his tv crew you know he used handheld cameras in that it was a lot quicker and a lot more it was a lot quick and dirty i guess is how you can put it and he didn't work like that before um so that's interesting i think as well there's there's a lot of interesting links between block and sort of television film history i think okay um I guess at the end of the day, the episode doesn't work because of that, but there's a lot of crazy stuff in there, like I said, that I do like. And, you know, it's not the best episode ever, but it's not terrible. Um, I don't know. Okay. Let me posit one crazy theory about this episode. All right. So in the end, they take this entity and they disperse him through the transporter and they're going to make like on a molecule by molecule basis, like they're going to just disperse them across the galaxy. Right. Yeah. So therefore we have this consciousness that's split up between billions of molecules, some of which travel back in time, develop into single cell organisms networked by a hive mind and become the enemy in operation annihilate, which possesses its people into a certain mode of behavior. And when it, they disobey it, creates pain which causes them to have terror and fear i believe that the operation annihilate creature and jack the ripper are one and the same and that they created their own monster and this ladies and gentlemen is why despite richard having very limited star trek knowledge i knew that he would be a good choice to do a show like this because that is the kind of batshit insane things that star trek fans like to do yeah it is. It's fun. I've never heard that theory before. I uh, well, because it's obviously not true. But I mean, if I were <laughs> doing this, it... well, it could be true. I mean, if you get on the staff of the next Star Trek that, movie, that's and it. Just like, put that in canon. I think canon. that would be a cool like that would make sense in a movie, or that would be a big bad of a series. And you have as the first episode this cheesy Jack the Ripper plot, and then it just you know suddenly becomes the crux of the entire series. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. 
Um, all right. I, what what do you make of Scotty's role in all this? Like, what why do you think they picked Scotty of all characters to to be this person? Is it is it just because he's he's a main character enough? He's more of a main character than like Sulu or Uhura, but not as much of a main character like well, we McCoy need to, or Spock. You need to have a man in order for this plot to work. Absolutely. Uh, can't be Sulu because he's gay. It can't be Chekhov because a lot of the a lot of the episode goes from the fact that we know that Scotty is does not lie is upstanding we'll see through bullshit we know who Scotty is at this point and we trust him so the fact that you know he when he says like I don't remember and you see how freaked out he is by yeah the thought that and by the way death by slow torture like oh yeah <laughs> And he's just like, yes, yeah, I, yeah. I, yes, I understand what that and means. And he's just like mildly worried, like, oh, shit, I don't want to do slow torture, you know? I thought it would be fast torture, but god damn it, you know? Why is it always slow torture? Like, I had something to do with the afternoon. Um, but if it had picked Chekhov, like, he's rapey as it is, so, like, we wouldn't, you know... I would believe it about... I, I, I don't see why anybody would not believe that Chekhov had killed these women. Yeah. I think it had to be Scotty because... Who else was left? Yeah. It wouldn't uh, be Spock, you know, making a Kirk wouldn't be that interesting of an episode. So kind of just a crapshoot between Bones and Scotty, really. Yeah, that's true. And I don't think it could be, I don't think it could be McCoy. Yeah, it doesn't make sense for him. But I mean, you could rewrite the episode to be that. But Scotty just seems like the only logical choice. I can see that. And I mean, I will say, of course, that, um, you know, making Scotty out to be some sort of a, a concussion misogynist is, is very strange uh, and, and, and doesn't really ever come up again. And I don't really know. I, well, because I just, he was completely cured at the end or something. At the end of the day, I think the Robert Block was a sexually repressed man who was probably henpecked by his mother and therefore had a lot of problems in his mind with if, everything. If he had just gone to like a, I'm really uh, sorry if we're being unfair to the memory of a dead man or something, but we can only look at what we can see. And this is what I see. Uh, this is the last Robert block episode. Oh he never wrote God. another one. So it's all done. Phew. Okay. That was awful. Nine triples. Nine. Chekhov was not in this episode at all. So you would have given it eight otherwise? No, I would have given it three. Oh, wow. So he gets five triples for not having I Chekhov really, in it. I really, really hate Chekhov. Huh. You're going to turn the corner on Chekhov at some point. Uh, uh, yeah, and then like hit him in the face with like a hammer or something like that. Jeez, you're violent. I really don't like Chekhov. He's just... Ugh. Okay. Uh, and we had so little of him this week, so I mean... He wasn't in this at all. I don't think. No, he. That's why he gets nine triples. Okay, uh, I give it um, uh, between six and seven. So six and a half. Six point four five. I love when they have it calculate pi, and then you know, then Spock explains to the audience what pi is, but he uses all of this <laughs> like you know, like for those audience, you know that dude. It's a, and then he just uses all these high math technology because Spock, and I'm like, okay, so. That it was just exposition for no point, like you know, because uh, the people yeah. who don't know what pi is will be just as lost by his ex- Robert Block. More like Robert Blech. Yeah. All right. So we we had to do rock paper scissors to to determine who was going to make that joke. Or did we do block paper scissors? Very nice. Thank you. You were going to say something. 
uh, probably I really don't see how I could top that. So really, what's the point? All right. Well, uh, next week we will discuss. Get ready for it, Richard. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The trouble ah! with tribbles. Oh my and yeah. the gamesters of Triskelon. I feel like I should be very excited for one of them. Uh, yeah, you should be. Oh, God. I hope you enjoy the gamesters of Triskelon. Oh, God.